But uh, it has been a privilege to be here. You're very, very kind, very hospitable. I appreciate the actual snow. I know that's a drag for y'all. But for a a person from Florida (laughs) to come up and see snow, it looked like a blizzard, right? It's like, oh, this is really great. It's not sticking on the ground. And we got to see it, and I'm I'm good. I've seen all I need to see for the whole year. And then I'll head on back to Florida where it'll be uh, maybe a little bit warmer. But it's supposed to be good for you guys tomorrow, right? Like 70 degrees. That's a little strange. I came in, the weather got bad. I'm leaving, and the weather got good. I'm kind of wondering, am I the Jonah? Is that what's really going on here? But at least you're not having to throw me off the, off the boat. I'm going to use several texts tonight. I want to kind of just maybe grasp your attention for a moment. I don't know. I know we have a lot of preachers here, a lot of Bible believers here and those kind of things. And I know you know the Bible. I find some strange things in the Bible, some unusual things. All of them don't make uh, perfect sense to me. I believe all of them, but all of them don't make sense to me. I think if we view things from God's perspective, that we could be able to understand those verses. But it's so hard to view things from where he is. I mean, he knows all things, right? He knows how everything's going to turn out. And so he can write a verse like, hey, we, for we know all things work together for good to them that love God. Well, I do. And them that are called, I'm saved according to his purpose. But sometimes it does not seem like all things are working together for good. And I've heard that theologically discussed. I've heard the verse pared down. I've heard it broken down verse by verse, word by word, and given everybody, given the the illustrations and the explanations of what they think it is. But still, it's hard to imagine that bad can be good. And so all of a sudden you come to that, and I know how we try to work it out. And it's okay when it's somebody else's bad. But when it's our bad, it's like, how is this working together for good? Here's another one that I find that's difficult to grasp or to get a hold of. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, he said, In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You know the word that bothers me there? It's not thanks. It's everything. That's nauseating. Everything? Yeah, everything. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I wonder oftentimes when I look into the Bible, I think to myself about the Old Testament prophets. And if I were to pull some of them out, and I'll pull them out tonight and just give you a couple of stories. Because if you look at them in time, it does not look like it's working together for good. And it does not look like it would be something they would be thankful for. I think about the old preacher Elijah, and I think if I were to ask him today, maybe we're up there in heaven, we've been strolling around the streets of gold for a while, and maybe the Lord lets us see a little snow shower over here and see some beautiful changing of the leaves and and just shows us some beautiful things there. And we sit down there at a picnic table, and I get a chance to talk to him now. And maybe we're on out past the millennium, and we're out there in eternity, and we got time to sit and talk and those kind of things. And if I were to ask that old preacher, I'd say, Preacher, I want to ask you a question. I read some things about you. Uh, just wondering, you know, all the miracles and things that you did, what was the greatest thing that ever happened to you? It had to be when the Lord came down in that fiery chariot and picked you up and carried you up into heaven. That had to have been absolutely the best thing that ever happened to you. And I don't know, maybe the Lord lets him step back in time and maybe he kind of looks a little older than he really is up in heaven. He strokes his beard and he goes, no, that wouldn't be the the best time for me. Really, what was the best time for you? Well, I would have to say probably the best time for me was the worst time for me. 
It was the best of times, but it was the worst of times. It looked like it was really, really bad. I, I went up on the mountaintop over there and we had us a great revival meeting, but at the end of that revival meeting, I was at the end of my rope. And I crawled down underneath a juniper tree and you know what? I got suicidal and I got down and I got discouraged and I got depressed and I was talking like a fool and I was God's man. I was God's man for the hour. There wasn't a bunch of other prophets around. I mean, there's supposed to be 7,000 hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. None of them birds ever came around. You'll run into them around here in heaven, but they're all nameless. None of them said anything. None of them backed me up. None of them supported me. Uh, All of them said they would, but when push came to shove, they didn't. And those kind of things. He said, but lest I digress, he said, "I, I really, I remember going out there. He said, you know what I even remember? I remember the one guy I thought would not leave me, not desert me, not be a, a break away from me when things got bad. My servant was with me the whole time we prepared the offering and laid the sacrifice and poured the water on it and the lightning struck that thing while he went over there and made as a messenger to the king and said, hey king, you better get into the town now. It's going to come a frog strangler. He said, you know what? I never thought that boy would desert me, but I came to the edge of the desert and I was at the end of myself and you know what that bird did? Skin for skin all that a man hath, he'll give for his life. He left and he said, I thought I was all alone. And he said, I went out there, boy, and I laid down under that tree and I listened to the lions roar and the hyenas laugh at me, man. And he said, my mind began to play tricks on me and I could just see me standing in front of that whole congregation of people up there and they're all laughing at me and mocking me and making fun of me and belittling me for my stand for the Lord. And he said, uh, I would have thought, you know, that would be the worst thing. I said, man, that's, that's, that's bad. I mean, that's really bad. You mean you really wanted to die? Yeah, I wanted to die. I asked him to kill me. It's enough, Lord, let me die. Kill me. Stop my heart. You can do it. Stop me from breathing. You can do it. I've had enough. This is what you get for serving you. I said, boy, boy, I tell you, preacher, that does. That sounds kind of bad. I mean, not really given the idea of, you know, you're an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, fire-breathing preacher. I mean, (laughs) you mean, you know, you were ready. Yeah, I was ready to quit. Best time in my life. Best time in your life. Yeah, because see, while I was down there in the throes of despair and stuff, I learned some things about the Lord that I'd never seen before. He, he came down here. He said, the oddest thing in the world, you know, he didn't kick me. <laughs> he didn't laugh at me. He didn't make fun of me. He was real gracious toward me. He put his coat over me, and he said he thought I was asleep. I was kind of playing possum. He brushed that old wiry hair out of my face, and he said he was looking at the salt glistening in the moonlight there and from the tears that had tracked down my cheeks there, and he went over and built a fire and made some biscuits and got some water and stuff and sat down there and that fire cracked and popped and stuff and the biscuits got ready and the wind changed just right and brought that over underneath my nose and kind of woke me up and he thought for a moment I'm in heaven and see this glowing man sitting across from me over there in a fire. The place I wouldn't have ever thought he would ever show up in the desert of my life and the desert as far as geographically but I was just as dry as that desert. I was done. Well, preacher, that sounds pretty bad. He said, well, I'm not done with the story yet. He said, you know what he did? He sat there and he talked to me and he spent some time with me and he fed me and he gave me some water and he gave me some warmth and he gave me some light and he just had some fellowship with me and spent a little time with me and you know what he did? He let me get some sleep for just a little while. He said, I'll roll back over, man. It's like a puppy. He got his head stuck in the puppy chow, man. I mean, I was so full, I couldn't hardly breathe. And he said, I just rolled over. And he said, I have to admit, I was a little afraid at first, but he stood there and watched guard over me while I went to sleep. See, it might have been really, really bad for most people, and I thought it was, but it was really, really good for me. That was a turning point in my life. 
Because when I got up from there, after I spent a little time over there in the cave, the Lord showed me that the problem with that whole thing, the reason I wound up there, he said, you know, I learned that in the cave. What'd you learn in the cave, preacher? He said, I learned what the problem was. He said, I was like an old Dyson, an old Hoover vacuum cleaner. I got too far away from the wall. The plug came out. And he said, I didn't even realize that I've been so busy working and doing the things I was supposed to do and serving the Lord. I just got so busy doing it that I got away from him there and I was expecting the people. See, I, I put all my emphasis and all my relationship and all my success on whether or not the people, the people, the people, the people. And I forgot it's just about pleasing God. I should have learned that in three and a half over there by the brook, but I, but I didn't. But the plug came out of the wall. And one day he came up there and he said the fire came up the mountainside and he wasn't in the fire. And the wind blew and the trees were snapping off on the tops and all and he wasn't in the wind. And boy, the earthquake like nothing I've ever seen and he, he wasn't in the earthquake. Well, where was he, preacher? <laughs> he said he slipped up behind me and put his hand on my shoulder and he said, hey, I'm right here. And he said, you know what I learned? You know what kept me going for the next 10 years? He said, what I learned under the juniper tree that the Lord is in the still small voice. He's not in all the grandiose things and things like that. And he said, I thank God for the juniper tree in my life because I learned things about God I would have never known otherwise. And I would have been completely away from, not even able to hear his voice because my fellowship with him had been moved apart. And he said, you know what that experience did? It brought me back where it needed to be. It wasn't the miracle on Mount Carmel that brought him back. It was the juniper tree. Now, don't tell me that makes sense to you. I remember a story told about a young lady that supposedly she was one of the top sopranos that had ever sung any of the songs. She sung some of the, uh, the old uh, operas and things like that. And they thought that she was so phenomenal. They said that when she would sing that people would weep in the congregation and stuff like that. And so they asked a guy who was an expert in those things to come to listen to her sing. And so she came over there to sing and he listened to her. I mean, pitch perfect. I mean, not, a, not didn't miss a single note. Wasn't flat, wasn't sharp, nailed everything technically as correct as you could possibly be. Would have scored 100 on a test if you were Gradner. They couldn't wait. Boy, they knew she had hit it out of the ballpark, right over the center field wall. Man, I mean, it was something, boy, as far as technicalities are concerned. And so they went to that old man and they said, hey man, listen, what did you think about her? I mean, she's the next up and comer, right? I mean, she's going to be the, the main one, right? I mean, look at, I mean, we're, we really think that she's absolutely phenomenal. And as he began to walk off into that cold winter day, he just paused for a little minute and he said, she is really good, but she'll be great when she gets broken and he walked off and they said what do you mean she'll be great when she gets broken what are you talking about she'll be great when she gets broken said she'll be great when she gets broken and he walks off like that Ten years, the story is told, goes by, and during that ten-year period of time, had a man that had jilted her. She came down with a disease and had some problems and some difficulties, and her health wasn't what it ought to be. But they said when that woman would get up to sing, man, that that entire place would erupt, and the people would just either weep and moan, or they couldn't contain themselves. They'd stand up there in the middle of her performances and stuff. And so they called him again, and he came in there, and he sat and listened to her, and they say that a big grin came across his face. And after everything was over, before they had asked him if he wanted to meet her, he said, I don't really need to meet her. I've, I met a bunch of them. He went back there to her dressing room, and she's back there, and she's getting uh, things taken care of and putting on all the stuff to get ready to leave from the performance that night. And he walked in, and he introduced himself. She said, oh, yes, sir, I have heard about you, and I really revere you, and this and that and the other. And he said, what happened to you? And she said, well, it was... <laughs> Really, really bad. 
but it was really, really good. She said, you know, I guess you heard, I heard that you had come to see me a few years ago, and I was pretty good back then. And she goes, and unfortunately, I thought I was good. She said, technically, I could probably hit the notes other people couldn't hit, and the Lord had given me an unusual voice, and I was good. I really was. I mean, technically, I was good. She said, I heard what you said, and she said, I scoffed at it when you said that. She said, you know, the best thing that ever happened to me, he said, what's that, young lady? She said, I got my heart broken. And she said, you know what? I was able to sing songs I never realized I could sing before. And she said, I technically sung them the same way, but they never sounded the same anymore. I remember a preacher telling me one time, he said he pulled a, a stunt one time. They said, you know, we have a record. Those days they had old big large uh, 78 RPMs and 38 RPM records and those kind of things. And he said that what he did one day was he took a diamond needle and he played the record and so on and so forth. And then he took that needle off and somehow or another was able to electronically hook it up to a thorn. And he said when he played that, thorn, played that same record and played it through the thorn, that it sounded different than it did when it was being played technically correct. You say, why? Because of the pain? It was really bad. But it was really good. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus come for you. For we know all things work together for good to them that love God, them that are called according to His purpose. Sometimes we forget about the eternal picture. We think about the here and now. If you were to look at Daniel, you'd think, Daniel, what did Daniel ever do wrong? Daniel didn't do anything wrong. Daniel went in there when he was a young man. He refused to eat the king's meat, drink the king's wine. He went over there and ate vegetable dinners. Anybody's got to be half out of their mind. They've got to be committed to God if all they want to eat is vegetables when there's meat on the table. I mean, I understand the reason for it and all that, but I mean, maybe he could claim duress or something like that. But he had the courage to stand up and he takes care of the guy. The guy said, okay, we'll try it for 10 days. And after 10 days, his boys, my shack, your shack, and a bungalow, they come along there, you know. <laughs> that's a real estate thing for those of you in real estate. That's what those guys were, real estate agents. And, and you know what happens in that? They're all looking good. And the king says, hey, what's going on? And, and their dietary changes are there. And, and then along the way, you know, they wind up having the bow down to the thing, the sack button, the, the, the corn and the flute began to play and the idol's there. Daniel's not there. He was on vacation when that was taking place. Well, he wasn't there, so where was he? I think he's on vacation. He was down at the Riviera having him a little fun. I don't know what he was doing down there, but he wasn't in town at the time. And those boys refused a vow. And they said, hey, if God be God, he'll deliver us. And if he doesn't deliver us, he's still God. And they go in there and he hears about all that kind of stuff. And then Daniel comes up there and there's a ruckus there going on in the uh, place. And they come to the king. They say, hey, listen, we don't want anybody that's not worshiping you and not taking care of you. And so they write out an edict and put Daniel in a, a bad situation because they know every day Daniel Daniel's going to do what he's always done, just pray. Three times a day, he goes over there, opens up a window chassis, and there they are. They know where to catch Daniel. I wonder if the Lord ever did that with us or some people followed us around, if they'd catch us praying three times a day. You know, the Muslims have most of us beat there. I mean, they throw out their rug and they pray to Mecca, and we're praying to God, but we don't pray as much as they do. And then we make fun of them. The Catholics do it. I mean, they go in, they'll kneel down, and they'll bow their head and cross themselves and dip their hand in some water and light a candle and all that. They're trying, but they're not even praying to the right God. They're praying to Mary. And then we get a chance to pray, and it's like, yeah, Lord, I think I do need to pray. I, uh, now I lay me down to sleep and pray to the Lord. <laughs> Lord, it's time for a meal. God is great. God is good. Oh, well, hey, amen, let's eat, you know, kind of a thing. And so Daniel gets ready to pray and they go over there and they take a picture of him. The Pavarazzi gathers around him and things like that and snap pictures. Got a picture of a newspaper behind him with the date and time on it. And they got him clipped. They run in there and throw all the pictures down there in front of the king. And they say, now your decree says. 
And so they come and grab Kent and grab Daniel. What's Daniel doing? Serving the Lord. He's been serving the king. He's not a rabble-rouser. He's not a rebel. You can't find a place where he's in there creating or causing trouble. He's not a troublemaker. That's God's prophet, man. That's the one that angels are coming down and talking to. Hey, man, where have you been? I've been up there fighting the king of Persia for 21 days. And I'm down there, well, that time you got here, man, I'm about to starve to death. I've been praying and fasting. Well, I've been in a battle, Daniel. You want to know what the prophecy is or not? Yeah, go ahead and shoot, man. I, why do you think I've been praying about it? And he, I'm just, it's a modern living Bible version of it. And then, <laughs> go back and forth and that kind of a thing. That's God's prophet for the time. He's the man. And so he comes down there and the king says, uh, uh, well, Daniel, we got a little problem here. And he said, no, we don't have a problem. You got the same problem a pilot had. All you got to do is have a little character and do what's right. You ever think about that? That pilot's wife, I mean, she's right at least 50% of the time. You know what she comes in? She said, have nothing to do with this just man. I had a dream. Pilate didn't have the backbone to do it. He sends him to Herod and sends him back. And you know what the rest of the story is. He's paying for it now. Well, Daniel comes down there. He says to the king, he said, well, you know, I'm going to continue to pray. I'm not going to stop praying. So he said, well, but I wrote in the edict, you're going to go to the lion's den. Hey, Daniel, yeah, what you want, Peacock? I just want to talk to you for a little bit. I know you're wise. You're above my IQ. You're, well, you've got the mind of Christ now, so maybe you can keep up, sonny boy. I said, okay, well, I appreciate that. If you'd sit down for just a second, sir, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. Was the greatest time when you fought against the king there and ate, didn't eat the king's meat? Or was the great time when the boys went into the fiery furnace? Or was the great time when you got Got all those prophecy and wrote out those things. Seventy weeks to perm upon thy people Israel to finish the transgression, and then thirteen hundred thirty-fifth day, and this and that and the other, and all that prophetic stuff, and all the way down there to the kingdoms at the end, and that kind of. Like, oh, you've been. I see you've been reading a little bit and all that, but you've been living it by now, you know. And he, I said, yeah, I'd just like to know what was the what's the best thing. Well, that, those good things, he's, you know, when you're talking to an angel, that's pretty major, isn't it? And he'd say, uh, well, you know, it depends on how you look at it. Well, can you tell me about it? He said, oh, I guess probably the greatest thing ever happened to me was they bound me up, man, and they hold me over that pit. I look down there in that pit, man, and those lions are running down there, and they're hungry, and they're climbing up on the wall, man, and their nails are so long, they're dragging them and scratching down that wall, boy, and they are starving to death. And I look down there at the bones of the men that have gone before me, and I'm leaning over that thing, and I'm thinking, boy, I hope they take me quick, and boy, this is going to hurt, and boy, I was scared, slapped to death, and I felt a foot right in the middle of my back shove me off, and I started falling down into that pit. Man, Daniel, that's bad, man, that's bad, well, no, it's not as bad as you might think. I'm not done with the story. Well, I mean, you know, no, let me, let me tell the story. It's my story. Okay, he said, they shoved that rock in place. Man, I mean, it was dark as pitch. And those lines were around. I could feel their breath in my face, boy. I was scared, slapped to death. I'd back up and run into one. I stepped forward and run into one. I'm just waiting to feel the teeth marks and the claw marks. I know they're going to just tear me to part, rip me to shreds. I know that tongue is like sandpaper, and they're going to just scrape my skin off of me and I'll probably still be alive while that's going on or want to get me in his mouth and just crush my skull and he said man I'm scared and about that time light comes on inside there and the Lord says "Uh, hey Daniel how you doing I said oh come on man no the light of the world came down there and said fancy meeting you here and the Lord said well where else would you expect to see me except in your trouble and everything give thanks Hey, Daniel, 
Now, I think he's a kind of a southern Jesus. He said, now, boys, y'all back off down here. And those little cats, they've been growling and roaring and all that. He said, knock that off. And then they start mewing like little kittens, you know, mew, you know, mew. And the Lord says, hey, come here, Fred. Lay down there in the back over there. And I named this one Samson. He thinks he's the strongest in the world. You come over here. And John, you come lay down over here. They make an easy chair for him. Daniel, you look a little tired. You look a little famished, a little frightened. I put your feet up here and put him one on there. I got him surrounded by lions. And two lions over here, and he's rubbing their heads, you know, and things like They're purring like little kittens, you know, and they can't hardly keep their eyes open, that kind of thing. And the Lord's sitting down there across from Daniel. He says, uh, would you like some iced tea, you know? I'm telling the story, so, you know. <laughs> he said, you look a little thirsty. And he says, what is iced tea? He said, oh, man, you never had nothing until you had iced tea before. You know, he's Alpha and Omega. He can be wherever he wants to be in time and then be there because there is no time, right? He said, I bring this to you from over there in South Georgia. He said, they make the best tea, you know, up there in 1992. Sir, never mind, you wouldn't understand. I mean, you're a pretty smart fellow, but you wouldn't get it. It's called time travel. You'll catch up one day. But in the meantime, you know. He said, man, that's, that's good, man. That's really good. And they sit there and they talk and stuff like that. Boy, I wish I could draw. Daniel has an opportunity to have all of his questions answered about all the deep things. You know what? It's strange. There's no record of the conversation. You say, why? He's learning some things down there about himself, and he's talking about personal things with his Lord and Savior. That's why. He's not asking him where Cain get his wife and how many angels dance on the head of the pen and who's going to make umbrellas for the millennial reign. He's down there saying, Lord, tell me what makes you happy. Lord, tell me who you are. My goodness, man. I don't want to pass this opportunity. And Daniel's sitting down there, and all of a sudden, man, before he knows it, he hears a rooster go off upstairs, and he startles for a second. The Lord said, what would you jump for? He said, well, I, 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 that means that they're going to come check on me here in a minute. And the Lord said, well, it's time for you to get out. Lord, I don't want to get out. If I could paint, I'd paint him. They'd start to move that rock. I'd have Daniel up there standing on the back of a lion. I'd have Daniel up there putting his hands on that rock and trying to hold that rock. And the king's up there saying, move the rock. It's stuck, king. It's like, he moved the rock. And Daniel's like, and he's praying, Lord, give me the strength of Samson. And the Lord's like, I ain't going to do it. Leave him alone. <laughs> Lord, please give me the strength of Samson. Let me be able to do it. I'm not going to do it. You got to go. You got to go back up there. But Lord, you know what? I sure am enjoying being in trouble. Lord, what I thought was going to be the end of my life was the beginning of my life. You know what I think old Daniel would say? (laughs) Yeah, it sounded like it was really, really bad, but man, it was really, really good. You step over into the New Testament and you talk to people throughout the New Testament. I'm just telling you stories about people in the Bible that you wouldn't think they'd have something to be thankful for. That old devil-possessed man, he's been up there, you know, laughing and crying and squalling and cutting himself. And they can't bind him with fetters and chains. And kids are scared to death of him. He's hanging out in graveyards, man. I mean, man, I'm going to tell you what. If you're not saved, you want to get a feeling, go out to the graveyard about, you know, midnight or so and curse God in the graveyard and tell me ghoulie monsters don't jump on you. I don't want nothing to do with that stuff. I'm, that, uh, that Halloween junk that some of you folks fool around with, it. you can have every bit of it. I close the door, lock the door, turn the lights off. I don't want no goblins coming to my house. I don't care if they are three foot tall. I don't like goblins, period. Oh, well, they're just dressed up like, uh-uh. No, no, I see that every Sunday. I'm an independent Baptist preacher. <laughs> 
I see people dress up all the time. I don't like that kind of stuff. And he goes over there and that devil-possessed man is up there and he's a ghoulish individual. He's watched individuals swash up on that shore after bad storms and stuff. And the Lord's out there at that time and he hollers at that storm, peace be still. And that old boat slides up onto that rock, boy, that rocky shore. And the Lord steps out and he takes off running down there with nothing on except. And he's got his blood all over him. He's been cutting and just screaming and yelling like a maniac, like an animal. And always that made people run. And the Lord just stood there. I bet you that demon-possessed man, if you were to think about it honestly, you'd say, well, that'd have to be the worst thing. But you know what that demon-possessed man might say to you? Well, it was really bad. But it was really good. Because if it hadn't been for me being demon-possessed man, Jesus might not have come by my way. My infirmity... My problem, my trouble, is the very thing that got his attention. You starting to get a little 828 now? You starting to begin to see a little light at the end of the tunnel? I wonder in that passage in Luke chapter number 19, that's where I was going to go tonight, but I'm already off and running, so we just well run with it, right? And in Luke chapter number 19, there's come the triumphal entry, and he comes in there and all of a sudden, you know, all these people, the Bible said his disciples, his disciples were raising Cain. I mean, they're shouting and they're hollering off. Not the apostles, the disciples. That's the people that have been following after the Lord. And they're going down through there. And you know what the Pharisees say to him? Master, could you tell these people to shut up? I've wondered, who would those people be? I bet you that woman with the issues there. That woman had an issue for 12 years, man. That other little girl, she'd been sick. She was 12 years of age, but she just got sick. That woman had been sick for a full 12 years. She comes out of that old emaciated state, man. I mean, she's anemic. She can't hardly walk. She can't hardly talk. She can't do anything. She can't enjoy life. She can't be around anybody. Nobody wants to be her. She's impure. She's unclean. She has to announce herself wherever she goes if she's able to get out there. And she comes out no matter what. They can't stop the bleeding. They can't stop the hemorrhaging and say, boy, sister, that really sounds terrible, man. That's bad. That's horrible. 12 years of that? Yeah, 360 days for 12 years. Long years. Sister, that's terrible, man. You're locked in in quarantine. Boy, it's worse than being in COVID or quarantine. At least we got out after a while, but man. No, it's not really the Bad as it seemed, it really was the best thing. Ma'am? Oh yeah, it was the best thing. How was how that the best thing? <laughs> well, see, I was so sick and I had been to see all these physicians and I had tried everything and spent every dime I had and I was no better. I was worse. And I felt like this is the end of everything. I'm going to die. And I heard there's a fellow coming by. His name was Jesus. And so I just slipped out in there and put on my hoodie and slid down the road. And I went out there. And there's all these people around him. I don't know if they needed anything or not. They didn't seem to need anything. They just wanted to kind of be around Jesus and be seen with him and stuff like that. Kind of wannabes, you know, that kind of a thing. But not really, not really didn't. He's looking for somebody that has a need. I remember reaching out there in that dirt and I reached out and touched the hem of his garment, man, because I felt like if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I knew he was the Messiah. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, I knew I'd be whole. And I did and he stopped. And he looked right at me and he said, who touched me as if he didn't already know? And I became a preaching illustration. 
I said, well, sister, what happened? She said, oh, greatest thing ever happened to me. She said, I would have never thought that that sickness is what brought me to Jesus. If it hadn't been for that sickness, maybe I'd have never met him. I think the widow of Nain's son's there. What happened to you? I died. You died? That's pretty bad. Well, no. <laughs> I know it seems that way because we all have a tendency to think death's the end of all things. But, man, that's one of the greatest things ever happened to me at all. Not only did I get to see what was in the life hereafter, but walking by. My mama was bawling and squalling. She had all these people behind us bawling and squalling. Her life was coming to an end. I mean, it was terrible. She didn't have anybody to take care of her. We didn't have any money in the bank, no 401K. I didn't even have any bread or anything put up for her. I died suddenly. I was a young man, just died. Don't know the disease that's so I died. <laughs> well, man, that's terrible. Well, no, it's not really that bad, honestly. <laughs> see, uh, because uh, I was in that box, man, and they're carrying me out to the tomb, and all of a sudden, it stopped, and before I knew it, the first time I ever saw Jesus, I came back from the dead and sat up in the coffin and reunited with my mama. Yeah, I know it looked really, really bad, but it was actually really, really good. See, his ways are not our ways. Years go by and people come by on a regular basis. Bartimaeus is over there, regular basis. Bartimaeus is over there. Bartimaeus, who are you? <laughs> you should be able to tell by my name, stupid, who I am. I agree with Daniel. You sure are a young whippersnapper. You don't know much about the Bible. Don't you know what my name is? Yeah, your name's Bartimaeus. No, that's just part of my name. I'm known by my infirmity. Well, what is your name? Well, he said it used to be blind Bartimaeus. And he said, the Lord came by one day and I was hollering and screaming out there and nobody wanted me to holler and scream. They thought their problems were greater than mine. And they said, Lord, don't deal with old misfits like me and people that are out to, grain, uh, out to pasture like me, old beggars like me, laying in your own mat, blind. I can't see out of one eye and I can blind in the other eye. It's a bad thing. I was terrible. Been blind since birth. Now they're all accusing me because I sinned and, or your mama sinned or your daddy sinned or they did this or he got dropped on his pumpkin head. And you'd be surprised what people say. How stupid people can be, they say the dumbest things when they don't understand the infirmity that you have. They accuse me of all kind of stuff, man. And he said, but I cried out the more the louder, and Jesus said, bring them to me. He said, you know, one of the fame, one of the strangest things in the world is when I got in front of Jesus, I couldn't even see him, but I could hear him fine. You know what he asked me? I said, no, tell me. He said, uh, what do you want? I said, well, that seems like a pretty bad thing, man, if even God doesn't know what you want. He said, no, I realize that it, not that he didn't know, it's that I know what I needed. And I said, Lord, my peepers, my eyes, I'm, I'm blind. He said, you know what, I got up and I see better now than I've ever seen. And I said, well, man, that sounds like a good story, but a bad story. But he says, you know what I know? I know if it hadn't me for me being blind, I would have been in that crowd, but I never would have met Jesus. He said, I never realized that the Lord was actually being a blessing to me by giving me something so he could be glorified. Lazarus says, amen, brother. <laughs> what? I said, amen to that. What are, who are you? Oh, I'm Lazarus. 
Yeah, man, the Lord left me out there, you know, like on Monday night. He left me over there. <laughs> I mean, he dumped me in the tomb, then dead four days and let me stink, man. I mean, you talk about stink to high heaven. You think you'd have to stuff toilet paper in your armpits to try to keep from sweating. I mean, sweat ain't nothing compared to how bad you can stink, man. I mean, you talk about stink. I mean, stink to high heaven, man. I mean, horrible. And what happened? He said, well, you know, the Lord had to use me for a preaching illustration. You're in a tomb as dark. You know, not only dark, I was bound up and blind and bound up and wound up. And man, there was no hope for me getting out. And besides that, I'm around a whole bunch of other people to stink. <laughs> he said, good thing I was dead, man. It stunk in that place. And he said, then he woke me up and I'm thinking, man, get me out of here. It smells even if I do have a mask on out here. N95 or not, it don't work, man. <laughs> He begins to levitate out of that thing. And I, well, how'd you get out of there? He said, well, first of all, the Lord used me to tell people you got to get that obstacle out of the way between you and the Lord because he's trying to do something for somebody else. And he said, then he made some of the people that bound me up unwind me. And then he got some of them to turn me loose because they had been holding me in chains for a long time. And he said, I've never been freer. I said, man, Lazarus, that must have been bad to die. no. No, I even knew the Lord. I was a friend of the Lord. But you know what? That's the greatest thing ever happened to me. You mean being resurrected for the dead? No. I mean uh, the Lord calling me by name. If I hadn't have been dead and in a tomb, I wouldn't have got his personal attention. My, 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 my. Little old lady comes up there. You can't tell it. Her tats have been scrubbed off now and her green mohawk's grown out now and she doesn't look like a cancer victim, been in a cancer ward. Somebody got after her too, a little too close to the cotton with the scissors and all and that kind of thing. And she gets up there and she says, uh, could I just say something to you? I said, yeah, sure. She goes, man, you want to talk about a rough life. Man, I had five husbands and the one I was with wasn't even my husband. Man, you've married five times? Well, you couldn't have done nothing in an independent Baptist church because if you've been divorced, I mean, you can't. She goes, what? Never mind, there's a whole other story to that one. <laughs> well, what happened to you? She goes, I never was married. I had somebody else's husband. Oh, she said, what you see before you right now <laughs> ain't nothing like what I used to look like. You might have heard stories about me. There was a guy by the name of Peacock down there in 2020-something. He used to talk about me all the time. And I said, uh, what did he say? Well, he said I had like a green mohawk and I had uh, tattoos on me and I had, you know, looked like I lost a fight with a nail gun. And I wonder who that guy is. I need to talk to him, man. <laughs> she said, yeah, I don't know how he got that snapshot of me, but he was talking about me. She said, I was the misfit in town. She said, nobody wanted me except at nighttime when nobody else knew what was going on and they always hid me off to the side. They didn't embarrass or shame. See me in the middle of the broad daylight at the supermarket, man, they wouldn't even speak to me. They'd act like they didn't know me. See, the women all hated me. And the men all loved me in special times and stuff. And she said, I said, well, that must be a, that must be a terrible thing to be singled out like that. Yeah, I had some bad habits and did some bad things. I was not worth much, probably not fit to tote guts to a bear. Well, that sounds really bad. Well... I know it sounds that way, but one day I got really thirsty and I went out to draw water. I said, let me guess, you draw it at the middle of the day? She says, your name Peacock? I said, uh, yeah, well, yes, ma'am. She said, well, you know, that's when all of us misfits go is in the heat of the day. The good, the good people don't go out in the heat of the day. 
She said, I went out there to draw some water and I ran into somebody that didn't run away from me and I ran into somebody that wasn't trying to use me. She said, but do you realize that if it hadn't been for what I was going through, I would have never gone out there at noontime? I'd have been one of the good people that stayed in town and missed Jesus. She said, you know what it was? It was my bad habits that carried me right out there in the middle of the day, man, being exposed in the middle of the S-U-N, boy. I'm being out there in front of everybody, and I saw that man leaning by the well, looked like the Marlboro man, kicked back then, and I thought, man, here we go again. And I walked up there, and she said, instead of taking something from me, he gave me something. She said, you know what, right then at that moment, he forgave me of everything I ever did and washed me clean and pure and white as a driven snow. I said, what have you been doing in the meantime to the Lord carried you up and all that? Oh, I got married, had a couple of kids, man. My boy got called to Bible school and become a great preacher. And my daughter grew up, married a preacher, man. You, you wouldn't believe what you know, really could come from you. The Lord said, be surprised. Or she said, you'd be surprised what the Lord can do. And everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I'm starting to get a little light on it now. I'm starting to see that he sees things a little differently than I do. I'm starting to see also a little bit of conviction for me. I'm starting to realize that maybe I have a problem. I don't want to get as close to Jesus because I, I, I realize that the infirmity is what often drives me closest to him. And I shun the infirmity instead of embrace the infirmity. Paul said, I therefore glory in tribulation. Why in the cat hair did you say that, Paul? Because, man, you learn things in trouble and tribulation and trials. The Lord gives you personal attention. He doesn't give everybody else. Divorce. Disease. The decimated body. Financial trouble. Friends leaving you. There ain't no friend like Jesus. Well, I could give you tons and tons and tons of stories. I, I get to thinking about those kinds of things. And I, I see this boy in Luke chapter B17 there. And there's 10 lepers that are there. Those 10 lepers are going out, you know, and they're a leper, unclean, unclean, unclean. They're known by their disease. Everybody isolates them, stays away from them. They're toward the end of Luke 17. Luke 17 starts off in that passage right there. Uh, offenses will come, woe to them, who they come, better millstone, that kind of thing. And then the servant. And you get to the end of that passage there in Luke chapter number 17. When you get down there, there's 10 boys that are there. And they got, uh, they got the disease. But not only that, they're not all Jews. And the Lord comes up to him. The, the, one of them is not a Jew. The rest of them are Jews. And the Lord comes up. They said, Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. And, and the Lord said, what do you want? What do you want? And he said, we want to be clean. We want to be clean. You're the Messiah. Clean us up. And the Lord said, go show yourself to the priest. And all ten of them birds take off going that way. And if you look at the end of that passage, you know what you see? One of them stops. And the Bible says he turns around. Look at it. It's in the passage. You can read it or read it tonight when you get there. You know what he does? The Bible says he turns around. And the Bible says he said with a loud voice he came to glorify God. And the next verse said that he came to say thanks. That's how he glorified God. You know what God, Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, you know what his response was? Where are the other nine that returned to give glory to God? Now, I'm different than some preachers. You know, I think, you know, he's thanking him that he's got his disease healed and he's thankful that he can go get pronounced clean and he can return and be an active member of society and he can go back to work and he can earn his money. See, the way we look at things always is about tomorrow instead of eternity. 
We look at what's better for me. Oh, well, now I can get back to work and I can get my job and I can do this and I can do that. We don't look at it as the way the Lord's looking at it in eternity. That Lord's looking up there and he said, where are the other nine that returned to give glory to God? How do I give glory to God? He didn't say glory to God. He said, thank you. Thank you for what? Um, This is where it's going to run sideways to you. (laughs) Lord, thank you for healing me. No. Lord, thank you for making me clean. I don't think so. Lord, thank you for my leprosy. Because if it hadn't been for that leprosy, I would have never looked you up. If it hadn't been for that leprosy, I'd have never cried out. If it hadn't been for that leprosy, I'd have never seen my need. I'd have made it on my own. I'm a self-made man. I'm tough. I can handle it. I don't need anything. Boy, do you realize sometimes God lets infirmities and things come into your life for the benefit of breaking you to make you a better vessel for His use. But do you realize sometimes He does that to let you know that without Him you can't do anything? And the Lord says to you, what are you thankful for? Because I made you whole? Because I gave you a million dollars? Because I fixed your car? Because I fixed whatever your problem was in a 48 or a 24 hour period? No, Lord, I'm thankful for the infirmity. Thank you, Lord. Why? Because you, you know what you're doing and I don't. I don't tell you it don't hurt. And that Bible says the dead boy was made whole. He was made different than the rest of them. The other ones were healed. He's whole. Nose grows back. Fingers grow back. Toes grow back. Ears grow back. The rest of them are a testimony of God healing them, but not a testimony of being whole. You say, why? He got it. I remember a lot of years ago now, my goodness, man, it's got to have been nearly 35 years ago, I guess, that my, uh, my dad passed away. It was a terrible thing watching him. And he preached that last time I remember he preached. He preached up at a church in the north end of Jacksonville. I remember seeing a video of him. He had his hand down in his belt like this the whole time he was preaching. And people thought, I guess, he was trying to be show off or something. He had about the size of a baseball right here. He had a hernia that had broken through because his insides were getting eat out because of the blood transfusion that they gave him. They didn't spin it for hepatitis C. And so as a result, he got all this cirrhosis and all this other stuff. Never drank a drop in his life or any of that stuff. But he was all just eat up and stuff just coming apart. And so he's, he's holding that thing. That thing would stick out like about the size of a baseball would stick out like that. And he'd hold it in while he preached because you preach from your diaphragm down here. He was loud, you know. And he's up there preaching and he's moving around a little bit and stuff like that. That was the last picture, last time I remember him preaching. I remember he wound up going in the hospital and the doctor, Dr. Felger, gave us some news and it wasn't good news and all that kind of stuff. And I remember after my dad uh, passed away, I was there the night on a Wednesday night about 9.15 at nighttime and my mama said her final goodbye to him. I stood there with tears running down my face. Boy, I mean like uh, water running down a mountain after a spring rain, man. I'm just sitting there. I, I can't even hardly... Catch my breath, man. I'm bawling so much and I'm waving like this. And the nurse came in and she looked at me and I said, I'm waving at my daddy. She goes, oh, okay. And she looks down on the bed and I wanted to say, he's not here. He is risen, you know. I'm watching my dad go up. I don't know if he saw me. Maybe he did. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe he's waving at me. I'll see you, bud. I'll see you, bud. No, I don't know, but I'm going to find out when I get there. Anyway, he goes out, and we have the funeral and all the other kind of stuff that you get done with that stuff, and, and then you got all the details. You know how it is. You're taking care of all the stuff and things like that. Boy, I was sure talking to the Lord. I won't tell you that I was um, rejoicing at the time. You ever had time like that? 
Lord, what'd you take him for? He's only 64. He gave up professional baseball. He took his first kid. I realize the devil, according to Hebrews 2, has the power of death, but God allows him to do it right. So you can say the Lord took him, took my, would have been my older brother, two days and two nights old. Lord, they go into the ministry. He took their first kid and he quit baseball and come to do all this stuff for you and then left this big giant church over there in Panama City and run around all these other churches. Uh, what do you take him for? My mama's half in and half out and having a hard time and had, had breast cancer and had a major mastectomy back in those days and lost parts of her body and her anatomy and things like, good night, Lord. I mean, some loving God you are, and I'm a preacher. But I'm having it out, not in front of people, but quietly, you know. And, and uh, the Lord said, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You want me to thank you for taking my daddy? That feels a little disloyal, doesn't it? I mean, don't you think, you know, you stand up in front of people and say, oh, I want to thank God for taking my daddy. I mean, that, that, oh, man, I mean, maybe the north is a little colder toward that. I doubt it. But in the south, whew, buddy, they string you up, man. You don't talk about mom and daddy like that, you know. And I'm down uh, probably... Oh, eight, ten weeks later, I'm down at a meeting south of me there and supposed to be one of the preachers preaching. And I'm getting ready to preach and some guy's up and I couldn't tell you for, if you held a gun to my head, I couldn't tell you what he said. And the Lord said, in everything give thanks, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I knew what he was talking about. I said, well, I kind of got a bone to pick with you. I don't, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not getting this. This ain't making sense to me. I know the verse. Right? Like the pastor said. <laughs> I, I, I know the verse, but I don't know what it is to enact it. My dad and I were close. It makes sense to me. And everything give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So I got up. I got out, I'd love to tell you, I got out and almost levitated to the altar, and after that it was easy. Man, every time I took a step, man, it felt like I had on lead boots. I didn't want to go. I know I was supposed to go. Man, I didn't want to go. It felt like it took me an hour to get down there. It didn't take but a few seconds. I got down there, man, I crumbled like a sack of taters down there. Old mourner's bitch down in that big old church. Two big giant mourner's bench. One on this side and one over there. Tear stains all over this one right here and stuff. And I laid down there on a wooden mourning bench. No, no padding, no nothing. I said, all right, I'm here. And everything give thanks. I said, well, thank you for the sunshine and thank you for the moonlight and thank you for the job and thank you for knowing everything. 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 I felt like he was sitting right there across the mourner's bench from me. Boy, you talk about a trial of your faith. Now, see, some of you might be like, what's the big deal, man? Just say it and get gone. Huh. Man, that thing was fresh. I'm talking eight, ten weeks ago. I put my dad in the ground. Boy, are you kidding me? And everything. Boy, I had no sooner uttered those words and a damn broke boy 
And I, start, I guess the preacher in the pulpit thought, man, I must really be preaching. Man, that guy's really tore up, you know. I probably became an illustration. Man, I was preaching the fire of God fell. The peacock got on the altar and got right, you know. I don't even know if he knew who I was, but man, I don't know how long I was down there. I cried till I couldn't cry no more. My wife's sitting back there waiting. She didn't, what are you going to do? She didn't come up there and put her arm around me and, you know, try to pray me through or something like that. She knew what was going on. And I'm down there to pray. I remember the service being over. I'm still crying, man. And I don't know. I guess maybe the either, either the people didn't see me down there or the Lord put a shield around me. I got no idea. And I finally quit crying and I said, all right. He said, all right, what? I said, thank you for taking my daddy home. You're smarter than me. You know more than me. And all things work together for good. And give me wisdom now to take care of my mama and what's left after this and that and the other and so on and so forth. And the Lord started talking to me again. And the Lord started ministering to me again. And I bet you, and he could probably testify to it, that at that moment in my ministry, my preaching changed. Sure as I'm standing here. The way I preached, the way I approached passages, the way I saw things in the Bible, the difference was I saw it through eyes of compassion because now it wasn't just clinical anymore. It was something I had experienced. And God showed me things through that that I had never seen before. I had seen death, lots of it, but it was clinical. And then I had seen death up close. But to be thankful, that took more faith than me leaving the sheriff's office. I mean, walking away from a job, that's one thing. But saying, thank you, Lord, for taking my dad. Sure appreciate it. Man, I'm a young feller back then, man. I mean, I'm in my 40s, late 30s, early 40s. Are you kidding me? And he's still a young feller. He's younger than I am now. Are you seeing where I'm at? See, it's really bad. Sure looks bad. But it's actually really, really good. I'm reminded of a story about a fellow that grew up and he came in. He was sort of a little bit of an orphan. He was born, but nobody knew who his daddy was. And just a few insiders did. And he had a stepdaddy. And he grew up and he worked with his daddy and built some things and put some stuff together and that kind of a deal. And then one day, Colin got on him and he went out and went out across the river there and said goodbye to his mom and daddy. And his cousin hollered and said, Behold the Lamb of God. He came walking out across the river and he said, Hey boy, I need you to dunk me. He baptized him down. Brought him back up. Started three and a half years worth of ministry. Forty-two months. Comes down to the end. He sits down there with the boys. He said, boys, let's thank God for this broken bread. And he blessed the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Out to Gethsemane he goes. Father, is there any way that this cup can pass for me? No. He said, okay. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. They come and get him, rustle in the bushes now, and they drag him off and bring him into a courtroom and during that time they're slapping him spitting him people are coming behind him and pulling out parts of his hair and 
grabbing his beard and they're sitting him down and mocking him and belittling him and, and making fun of him and things like that and stripped that robe off of him. And I mean, they beat him to a fare thee well, man. And then they take him there in front of Pilate and Pilate sends him to Herod and then sends him back and he tries to get out of it and sends him down there to the praetorium to that little, that little hole in the wall down on the ground, the smell of blood, the stench of dried blood down there where bowels had been emptied on more than one occasion, just a just a pit of nothing but sweat and stench and blood splatters all over the wall and they chain him up there to the wall and strip him down with nothing on him whatsoever, a grown man now, and they lay the lash to him, boy, probably with a cat of nine tails, and they give him them stripes, boy. And he says, by my stripes you'll be healed. And the atonement starts in Gethsemane when he's sweating great drops of blood and the blood begins to fly, probably splashed onto John's face. And he comes out and gets nailed to a cross. You ever said to him, Lord, I sure do appreciate you dying for me. Appreciate the price you paid for me. You know what I believe the Lord said? I believe the Lord said to the Father when he said, into thy hands I commend my spinning ears finished. You know what I believe he said? Appreciate you sending me down here and letting me die for these people. I love them. I care about them. Thanks for giving me this task. You say, where do you get that? Isaiah 53 says in the Bible, that please God to bruise him. God's up there grinning. Say, that's my boy. Never complain, never gripe. Grateful for all the trouble and all the trials and all the difficulty. Why, that's Paul. We joy in tribulation. Thank you, Lord. I appreciate it. Pete comes up there after a little while, man. They come and they say to Pete after the John 21, they come up there to Pete and they say, Pete, now, you can't be preaching Jesus anymore. Now, we're tired of that kind of fools. You've got to stop. And he said, preach who? And he said, preach Jesus. He said, Jesus. Oh, man. <laughs> Jesus, that's the sweetest name I know, man. Let me tell you about Jesus. You can't keep doing that, Peter. And Peter wouldn't shut his mouth. And they chain him up there, and they beat the tar out of Peter. You know what Peter says? It comes down to the end there of Acts chapter 5. You know what Peter says? He said, isn't it a blessing to have taken a whipping for the right reason? Thank God. Thank God for a whipping. <laughs> Paul goes down there in Acts chapter number 16. He's down there with Silas in prison. And you know what he says? He said, man, I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what, let's do, Silas. Why don't we sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost and now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And Silas said, man, what do you mean? He said, man, the secret to endure in trouble, trial, tribulation, persecution, those kind of things. You know what it is? It's being thankful. Man, God did this for a reason. He's going to get some glory out of this. God knows what he's doing. Come on, Silas, get in on the revival meeting. God comes in there. He don't always set you free, though, does he? Paul comes to the end of his life now. You know what he says? I'm now ready to be offered. Man, what an example. Paul's down there. He's already been up to the third heaven. He's down there in prison and everybody's deserving. Demas forsaken him, love of the presence of the world. Dodge loving the prim. Luke's with him there and he's down there in the prison. Onesiphorus has searched him out and found him and that kind of a thing. Paul said, I'm coming to the end of the chain now, boys. I'm coming to the end. I'm now ready to be offered. Henceforth laid up me a crown of righteousness and for all those who love his name said, they're going to take my head off. And old Paul comes down there and big old, old huge soldier comes down there, the one that's going to take his head off there, the execution 
executioner. And he said, all right, preacher, it's your turn now. Paul said, well, glory to God. He said, what? He said, man, I'm so thankful, man. He said, you know what I was willing to do? He said, I was willing to die for Judaism. I was willing to die for religion, man. I was willing to die. He said, you know, I used to be a Pharisee of Pharisees above the law, blameless. I was the tribe of the Benjamin. I mean, I was a big dog in that movement right there. And he said, yeah, well, what happened to all that preacher? They excommunicate you. He said, no, I counted it all but dung, man, that I could win Jesus Christ. And he said, none of them birds are out there waiting. They can't wait for me to die. He said, you know who's with me right now? He said, who's with you? He said, you can't see him right here. It's the Lord, he's right here with me. He said, preacher, I realize you're kind of a little scared right now. He said, no, I'm not scared at all. He said, put your hand on my heart. The executioner puts his hand over there. And he said, preacher, what in the world is that, man? He said, man. I'm ready to go. I've been ready to go since I fell off my horse over there and got down in the dirt and met Jesus, man. He said, boy, it ain't been, it's been a great ride and the Lord's fixing to carry me out of here. He said, I tell you what, you know what? Here, here, my watch, you can have it. I don't need it no more. I don't worry about time anymore. I'm going to a place where there is no time. Boy, God sure is good. What do you mean God's good? To let me die like this? Are you kidding me? Man, what a blessing, boy. Hallelujah. My work's done. Preacher, you talk like a fool. Well, I don't know. I wish you knew him. You want to take for a moment or two here? <laughs> he comes over there. You know who I got in that crowd? I got that old chief that was over there on the island of Melita. Now, I don't know that he's there, but I think he's been raised some of them boys now because he got well. You remember when Pete's, uh, I mean, uh, Paul's ship got wrecked over there? You remember it? I'm almost done. Remember the story? And Paul comes out there, and then after the ship comes to Rome and takes him over there, I think the king of that thing, he says, boy, you want to see a man? He said, Daddy, I see you every day. He said, no, I mean a real man. He said, that boy got over here, man. He's picking up sticks for people, and he's trying to help them in a system, and a snake comes out and bites a man. And he said, he throws that thing into the fire, and he should have swole up, and he should have died, and he didn't. And he spent all that time here. You know something, boy? I sure am glad that ship was wrecked out there. He said, you remember every morning? Daddy, you go out there for morning devotions every day. Yeah, you know how that mask kind of hangs out there, looks a little like a cross? He said, reminds me of this boy right here, Paul. You know, sure, I'm glad his ship was wrecked there. He said, I tell you what, let's go. They catch a ship over there in the crowd. And about the time Paul comes through, he's in manacles and he's walking boy, them chains and that executioner's there with the mask on covering him. Big old guy, man. I mean, big as the side of the house, man. Big sword dangling off of his side. And he walks up there and all of a sudden that old king steps out. He said, hey preacher, remember me? He said, sure, man, you're the king of the island of Melita. What in the cat are you doing down here, man? You just in town to see the show or something like that? No, I'd like for you to meet somebody, preacher. Mind we walk with you a little bit? And Paul said, well, no, I'm in a, I'm in a hurry now. <laughs> Life's going to be over pretty soon. He said, okay, well, come on. He said, boy, come here. And his boy walks over. He said, this is the boy I've been telling you about. He said, hey there, young man, how are you? He said, me and your daddy go way back, man. I was a shipwrecked on the island. Paul, I've heard all about you. Well, well I mean, you know, if, if God's really real, I mean, wh why are you dying? He says, it's not a matter of me dying, son. It's a matter of how you die. He said, I'm dying and I'm going there. I hope your daddy told you that. Boy, up on that chopping block he goes. I think if you could mimic the words of what the Apostle Paul was saying, if you have any final words to say, you know what I think the Apostle Paul would say? In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Shut up, preacher! Plow!
pops that head off of his head. Before that head's in the basket, it's in heaven with a crown on it. But you can still hear him say it, can't you? In everything, give thanks. Thank God for your cancer. Thank God for the loss of the child. Thank God for the divorce. Thank God for the disease. When was the last time you gave glory to God? A leper had enough sense to give glory to God. See, I'm not talking about a charismatic service where everybody runs around and hollers and jumps up and down and screams. And It's fine. That's not a problem. I'm talking about real glory to God, not just an emotional good time. I'm talking about, God, you're good in spite of my trouble, in spite of my difficulty, in spite of the church split, in spite of the problem, the people that don't like me, the lost job, the debt that I'm in. Lord, you're a good God. Thank you. And he says, come here, angels. He said, I want y'all to see something. It's an unusual deal. Down there in South Leon, down there. Who's down there? Never mind that. (laughs) You won't come to the meeting if you know who's preaching it. Just (laughs) never mind that. But I want you to notice something down there. What is that? I've got a bunch of people down there giving me glory. They're giving me something I can't give myself. They're telling me thank you. But they're not thanking me for money in the bank. And a roof over their head. And a fine car to drive. And good health. And a good marriage. They're thanking me. And about that time the old leper comes in and he goes, I know what they're thanking you for. They're thanking you for their leprosy. The Lord said, that's right. That's right. You know what the Lord's saying to you tonight? Where are the nine? You've had some tough times this past year. Since I was here last year, I mean, you've been through the ringer, boy. Okay. I'm giving you Bible. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You want to give God glory? You want to spit in the devil's eye tonight? In all this, Job did not charge God foolishly. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you. I just buried ten kids and lost all my material possessions and I lost my health. Thank you. Now it's high cotton. I know it's difficult. I'm not making light of it. But I'm going to ask you to do something. If we could, Anna, if you'll come to the piano and I'll turn it to your pastor here in just a second. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads just a moment. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Closing out the meeting now. Planes on the ground. We're headed for the hangar. I'm going to pull in. I want you to just pray. And I want you to ask God, Lord, is there anything in my life that you want me to be thankful for? And if there is, would you come down and thank Him for whatever it is? <laughs>